Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams and Mike Florio. Just another day in the National Football League as we anticipate the final four playoff games before we get to the final four for the NFL. Also, still seven head coaching vacancies and counting other jobs filling up, including a general manager position. We'll talk about that coming up. Before any of that, I, I have to be polite and I have to show good manners and I have to say good afternoon. Shireen, how are you? I'm fantastic, Mike. Ready for another week of football and it should be a good one this weekend. It's a bittersweet time of the year. The games have incredibly high stakes, but with each game, one team is done for the season and the field of remaining teams gets smaller and smaller and we're working our way toward the end of the 2020 NFL season. Seven games left. Had to do some quick math there. Seven seven games left, <laughs> and the NFL has done a great job of getting all of the games played, and there's no serious COVID talk this week, but we've learned from experience. We're only one day away from a rash of positive results that throws everything into disarray. But from this point forward, we don't want that affecting games, although it ultimately didn't affect the Browns against the Steelers. They won that game. We'll see if they can duplicate that feat against the Kansas City Chiefs coming up this weekend. Last year at this time, the 49ers were getting ready to host the Vikings in the NFC Divisional Round. There was thought that defensive coordinator Robert Sala would get a job somewhere. He did not in the last cycle. He may in this cycle. He has finished his second interview with the Jets today. Earlier on PFT Live, Chris Sims suggested that Sala is the favorite to get the job with the New York Jets. There have been other reports suggesting that Sala is number one on the list, but Sala is also talking to the Eagles. Now, this may just be leverage aimed at getting the best possible contract. This may just be a courtesy, whatever it may be. It's not done until it's done. We learned that three years ago with Josh McDaniels, but it seems to be moving Shireen in the direction of Robert Sala having an opportunity to become the next head coach of the New York Jets. Yeah, it sounds like they're bringing other guys in, Mike, for second interviews, for in-person interviews at their team facility. So it's not a done deal yet, obviously, but it does seem like he is the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak. But, you know, if they really wanted him, Mike, that badly, they wouldn't have let him let leave the building either and go to Philadelphia, where now the Eagles, I guess, technically wouldn't have it. Well, I guess they would. They could sign him and not let him get back to the Jets if they – uh, want to do that so that you know it's kind of the thing with in free agency once you let him walk out the building he's talking to other people and he's obviously had a lot of interviews so maybe he likes somebody better after he leaves you you never know it's the Matt Rule dynamic. They had him in Carolina last year. He was due to meet with the Giants, and they got him signed before he ever left. Now, along the way, a phone call was made to the Giants with an indication of what the Panthers were going to pay Matt Rule, and the Giants politely hung up the phone. They're not going to pay that amount of money. <laughs> That's going to be the other interesting dynamic, what coaches make first year, given what happened last year with David Tepper, the Panthers' owner, resetting the market and blowing open the curve because the owners don't want to overpay for coaches and they found a way to keep coaching salary growth down relative to player salary growth relative to revenue growth and this year could be an opportunity to reel things back in by pointing to the losses from the pandemic sorry we can't pay nine million we can't pay eight million we'll pay what we pay and we're all, all coincidentally we're all offering the same amount Pick a job. We're all paying the same. There is a little bit of collusion that happens. But with no union, 
for the coaches and no coach willing to trade his career for the ability to file a lawsuit, nobody's ever going to do anything about it. Yeah, Mike, and they're going to pay what they pay. I think it's going to be like that in free agency for some of these veteran players, too. I don't think they realize what's going to happen when you come into free agency in March and April. A lot of them are expecting to get big contracts. I don't know that those are going to be there. This is just a different year, and it's probably not the best year to be a coach or be a player-free agent uh, looking for a job because the numbers probably will come down some based on ticket revenue not being there for these owners, and they're going to look to cut costs any possible way they can, Mike. point that I think we made earlier today on PFT Live and something I've been meaning to write about, the idea that – we talked about this yesterday, that coaches so rarely just choose to become free agents. It was with John yeah. Schneider. The general manager had a year left on his contract, could have said, hey, I'm not signing your contract extension. I'll just play out my contract or work out my contract, as the case may be, and become a free agent. I'm still surprised coaches don't do that, but they're afraid that they're going to step into a situation where there's no job for them anywhere else. And also, to the extent that there's any true collusion happening among the coaching hires, maybe if a guy drives too hard of a bargain, no one else will want him, just as a courtesy to the team that otherwise would see him walking away. My concern about Robert Sala to the Jets is similar to a broader concern that I've stated this offseason. Hiring a defensive coach can create a potential problem for you because if your team does well, your offensive coordinator is going to get hired by the, another team as a head coach. I wrote about that today on Twitter, and reasoning with tr- Twitter is like trying to teach your dog to fly an airplane. It just doesn't happen, especially if you don't know how to fly an airplane yourself. But, but I, I think that is a legitimate concern. If you bring in... Yeah an offensive coordinator who finally gets the most out of Sam Darnold and the Jets go 11-5 and within the next couple of years, that offensive coordinator becomes a coaching candidate and you may lose him and then you got to hire another guy and hope that it works. Look at the revolving door Mike Zimmer's had in Minnesota for reasons both attributable to success of the team and Mike Zimmer isn't the easiest guy in the world to work with apparently, but if you have an offensive coach... I think it's easier to survive the turnover that naturally happens as a result of success, like Andy Reid in Kansas City. You lose your offensive coordinator, that's all right. I'm the offensive coordinator. You lose your defensive coordinator, well, that doesn't happen very often for a great offensive coach. Dennis Allen's still stuck in New Orleans, and you never even hear his name mentioned for head coaching jobs, which is still strange. So I I just would, would err on the side of an offensive coach, especially when the quarterback position needs so much work and you need someone to connect with Sam Darnold or whoever you draft with the second overall pick. I, that, that's my that's my concern. I know Jets fans are so desperate just to be relevant, they don't care. That's a good problem to have, but I still con- t- continue to say that the only good problem is no problem, and I'd rather not lose my offensive coordinator so quickly if, if my defensive-minded head coach turns things around. And especially if you don't have an established quarterback, Mike, in the situation of Sam Darnold. You know, it's probably a little different in Houston because they have an established quarterback, but they need an offensive guy to come in in, in with the Jets and see if they can save Sam Darnold's career, see if he is salvageable, if he is a legit franchise quarterback. I don't think anyone knows that yet. 
So I was curious to see, I mean, they've interviewed so many people. This seems like a weird cycle to me because it, they've interviewed so many people. All, every team has, and it just seems like it's slow. The hirings are really slow, slower than they usually are. But I look at the Jets. They've interviewed four offensive coaches and six defensive coaches, uh, counting Sala. So it, it's kind of strange that when you have a Sam Darnold as your quarterback and really need to develop him, you are looking at so many defensive coaches. And I know a lot of owners will tell you, hey, we just want the best coach. But most times I'm with you. Most times the the best coach is going to be an offensive coach because this is an offensive game now. Defense can only do so much for you. The Rams defense is really special this season. We've seen them score defensive touchdowns. I don't think any of us are looking at them as a Super Bowl contender, that they're going to go and win the Super Bowl just because their defense is ranked number one in the NFL. They've got to have more offense if they want to do that, and they don't have enough this year. And here we are, nine days removed from Black Monday, two days removed from Black Monday 2 when Doug Peterson got fired, seven jobs open for coaches and none filled yet. I think once the first domino falls, the others may start to fall because you get a sense of we better move while we can and get the guy we want before he is hired by someone else. And this notion that the Jaguars and Urban Meyer are on the brink of getting a deal done continues to linger. There was a report today the Chargers have talked to Urban Meyer. Maybe that's just the last little bit of leverage aimed at getting Meyer what he wants. I was told last week i think it was the days and the weeks are really starting to blur together but it was 12 million a year that meyer wanted there was some pushback against that without specificity of what he really wants it's not unreasonable folks for him to want 12 million a year when you've got guys north of 15 bill belichick north of 20 last year matt rule got nine and he has no national championship pelts on the wall if you believe in Irvin meyer you pay urban meyer and maybe this notion of the chargers being interested in urban meyer shireen is a is an indication that that Meyer is trying to squeeze every last dollar he can out of Shad Khan before he signs his name on the contract. Yeah, Mike, we just talked about coaching, taking what the owners are going to give. He's the one guy, I think, in this hiring cycle, if he goes to a team that can name what he wants. And, hey, if he doesn't want it, if that's not enough money, he's going to walk away from that job. But none of these assistant coaches we're talking about, they don't have that leverage. They're going to take what that team owner offers, and that's going to be it. And if they don't take it, hey, like the Jets, hey, they got 10 people on their list. Robert Sala, here's the contract. You don't want it. We'll move on to our next candidate, and we're fine with that. We've interviewed 10 candidates. We have a lot of candidates for this job. So he's the one guy, Mike, in my mind, that can dictate the amount of money that he wants, that it's going to take to get him and the owners are going to pay it if they really want him but if you're urban meyer mike do you take and you have the choice of the chargers or the jaguars what do you do chargers but but here's the thing with the yeah. chargers you're not going to be in charge of everything because tom telesco's already the gm right. i don't think they're going to just upset the power structure and say urban meyer here are the keys in jacksonville you've got the keys and you've got trevor lawrence so i i'm I'm probably, under the circumstances and given the fact that he's going to have more power and more authority and more control in Jacksonville, I'm probably leaning Jacksonville. And, you know, you made me think of something that's very appropriate here. Him just saying, screw it, I'm not coaching anywhere is his best leverage, especially as the Jaguars have put their hold, their search on hold while they wait for Meyer to make a decision. If Meyer all of a sudden says, I'm out, 
then they've got to start the engine again at a time when other teams are closing in on making their hires. So he's got leverage here because the Jaguars won. I mean, the question is, how much are we willing to pay the guy that we've decided we want? And we talked, I don't know if we talked about this earlier today. I think we did briefly. The idea that the Lot J development that Shad Khan has been pushing so hard in Jacksonville, the area around the stadium, the Jacksonville City Council voted that down. I don't know what that does to, to, to impact willingness to pay a coach, to impact long-term vision for the team. Will they play more games in England? I'd want to know how many games per year are being played in England before I sign on to be the coach, and I'd want to know that if I'm Trevor Lawrence before I sign a contract as the first overall pick in the draft. So makes sense to continue to keep your eyes on Jacksonville. We've been keeping our eyes on Denver, where they have a general manager, John Elway, stepping down while also stepping up. He really is stepping out more than anything else. He's got one year left on his contract, and he's cleared a path for a general manager who, if all things go well, could become the next Elway next year and be fully in charge of the football operation with no real owner there to answer to. George Payton, after passing on opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for the over the years while he's worked for the Vikings, now takes the job. Six-year contract with the Denver Broncos, and uh, you know they move forward. Vic Fangio's the coach, Drew Locke's the quarterback, but you've got a new guy in charge of the football operation, and that is going to spark necessarily all sorts of changes, Shereen. And Mike, if I'm him, I don't take anything less than a six-year deal. He was smart to get that six-year deal, and there's a reason for it, because of the ownership issue. He met for an hour privately with Brittany Bolin, who's expected to take over as owner, but we know how messed up that situation is there with ownership, so who knows how that's going to play out. And also, you don't have the, the quarterback in line. Is it going to be Drew Locke? Is he a franchise quarterback, just like Sam Darnold? Uh, I think the jury's still out on, on what his future is and if, if he can be your quarterback. So, very smart smart for for him to get that long-term deal and get locked up and if it doesn't work out he's got some money and and some leverage there to to get out and go somewhere else so it's very smart on his part um and hopefully he does a great job there but we're gonna find out you know i think i said this yesterday mike i just think these gm jobs are much harder to hire than a coach i mean a coach you have some evidence by what happens on the field we don't really know how much Peyton did behind the scenes in Minnesota, how responsible he was uh, for, for things that they did in Minnesota. And the Broncos, frankly, I don't know how they would know that either. They can call and ask around, but still, uh, you don't have that evidence of, of what they do on the field. I think it's much easier for these teams to hire a head coach. And obviously, they strike out on the head coaches too a lot, but I think it's much easier to see what a head co- what an assistant coach can do as a head coach, just you have some evidence of that. And I'm not sure you have that of a guy who's never been a GM and has been behind the scenes with the team, not just to Peyton, but to any of these guys. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You're taking that leap of faith that the guy who has had a lesser job can step into the top job without really knowing how much influence he's had over the roster where he's been employed. Maybe he's been the weak link and others have been covering for him, although I know that Peyton's been highly respected and he's a guy that has had opportunities and has consistently declined them until this year. You mentioned Brittany Boland. She is the likely candidate from within the Boland family in this strange Willy Wonka competition they have where the trustees decide who takes over. The other possibility is they have an impasse within the family. 
the eight different people who hold interest in the franchise don't sign off on Brittany Bolin. They dig in. They have to sell the team. That could happen as well, although there's a hybrid outcome here that may make the most sense, and it's sort of what happened in Tennessee. Not to get too deep into the ownership weeds. I just want to put this on everyone's radar screen. There's a chance that maybe somebody who's interested in buying a team in the future offers to buy out the two, and it's my understanding is it's two out of eight who are really dug in and would prefer to just see the team sold. Make them an offer, then let the other six match it, and the two go away with a big pile of money, and the six take over the team, and Brittany Bolin runs the team. That's kind of what happened in Tennessee. That could happen to avoid a sale of the Denver Broncos, but Peyton's got the security to protect him against an ownership change, whatever may come with that six-year deal. The Chicago Bears announced what was widely expected. Both Ryan Pace, the GM, and Matt Nagy will be back as head coach next year. My position was very simple. Fire both or fire neither. And if you fire both, you better fire Ted Phillips as well because that guy's been there 21 years hiring general managers and coaches who've been getting fired because they haven't gotten it done. So I think they made the right decision under the circumstances. Stay the course. They've been to the playoffs two out of the last three years. they got to fix the quarterback position. If it's a disaster next year, yeah, everybody gets fired. But the next time everybody gets fired, everybody needs to include the president of the team who avoids accountability. We've talked about these jobs. These are the Jack Easterby jobs. The people who have their their spoon in the stew, but if the stew ends up being rancid, they never are asked to turn in their apron. And Mike, they've made it clear by saying today that we are not giving these guys contract extensions, that they are absolutely on the hot seat and they need to take another step. Now, what that other step is... We don't know whether that means winning a playoff game or getting to the championship game or getting to the Super Bowl. We don't know what that next step is, but Pace will be in the final year of his deal, and Nagy has two years left on his deal. So these guys are absolutely on the hot seat going into this year. They're going to have to answer that quarterback question and answer it in a hurry if they're going to keep their jobs beyond this season. Let me make one other point real quick. I know we have to go. We've got Football Pod in America coming up, and as usual, it chews up about half of the show. The Vikings still don't know what's happening with offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak. They better figure that out because that's not going to be an easy job to fill because there's a hot seat in Minnesota for 2021. It reminds me of coaches in the past, like like a Lovey Smith when he was in Chicago and he was on the hot seat. It's hard to hire an offensive coordinator when that guy knows that everyone's job is riding on his performance in his first year. So they better figure this out. And I've heard that Gary Kubiak's trying to position his son Clint to take over whatever they're doing they better figure it out because it's going to be hard to find anybody maybe they have to give it to Clint because everybody else will say no thank you I don't want to be the guy who has to save everyone's job by fixing Kirk Cousins in 2021 all right let's take a break when we return changes to come in Pittsburgh how extensive will they be and who will be back specifically quarterback Ben Roethlisberger we'll discuss that next here on PFTPS. You know, obviously didn't anticipate being here um, in this position, Um, disappointed uh, by it, Um, understand that 
you know, um, we better make some changes in terms of the things that we do. We better look at every aspect of it, um, schematics, personnel, um, approach to business. Uh, I'm committed to that. You know, I'm not going to maintain status quo and, and, and hope that the outcome changes. That's, you know, that's the definition of insanity. Do you think that it's realistic that Ben will be back given the, the uh, cap implications? You know, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a clear assessment of, of the overall impact of the cap ramifications. So I might not have a direct answer to your question, but I think it's reasonable to, to assume that there's a chance that he's going to be back. Certainly um, the, the depths of the ramifications of the cap discussions um, I am not privy to as I sit here right now. Well, Mike Tomlin will make you privy to it. If Ben Roethlisberger comes back without a new contract, his cap number is $41.25 million. There is the ramification, especially if the cap is as low as 175, although I think they're going to find a way through negotiations with the union to keep it higher because it hurts the teams that would otherwise have to have a purge of veteran players. I don't think anyone wants that for 2021, but you still got to deal with that 41.25 million, Shireen, which means if he comes back, this almost is like the Drew Brees situation late in his career. Every year they would fashion an extension that kicks that can farther down the road, reduces the cap now. You take the salary, you shrink it to the minimum, you convert it to a guarantee, and it drops the cap number this year. But the cap number is still, there's only so much you can do to drop this cap number, and you're eventually going to take a huge cap hit when Ben Roethlisberger retires. If he retires this year, it's a $22 million cap hit. And look, if I'm Roethlisberger, I, assuming they would want the $12.5 million back that he hasn't earned yet, that he received in signing bonus money, and remember, signing bonus isn't free money, it's advanced pay for future services. He could just dig in and wait and say, I'm not extending my contract and you decide what you want to do. There's a $15 million roster bonus that comes due on the third day of the league year. Maybe they'll cut him. That's what Calvin Johnson should have done five years ago. He retired and they, they came after him for money at a time when his cap yeah. number was so bloated they were probably going to cut him anyway. I think Ben needs to learn from that and force them to make their decision and uh, and then if he wants to retire after the, the new league year starts and they have to carry the $41 million cap charge, so be it. You know, it's a tough call. It's a tough situation. It's a tough spot, Shireen. And and it's it's a lot more complicated than Tomlin made it out to be today. He just kind of punted on the question by acting like he doesn't know what's going on. He sure knows what's going on. He absolutely does, Mike. And you wrote earlier today about the Seahawks being at a crossroads this, to me, is a team that is at the crossroads. Right now, they have seven players, counting Ben Roethlisberger, who are scheduled to take up 71% of the cap space if it's at $182 million, which is kind of the projection at this point. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. They have 19 unrestricted free agents. Ten of those started at least one game. We know Juju's one of those free agents. This, to me, looks like a team that, that is either ready to rebuild or I know they're in contention every single year with Mike Tomlin, but you have a quarterback question. You have tons of free agents. This is a team, Mike, I don't know if you agree or not, that very much is at a crossroads right now. Yeah, they've got to make some big decisions about who they're going to pay, who they're going to keep, who they're going to let go. Can they, can they keep Juju Smith-Schuster after the Browns as the Browns? 
Can they really do that? Will the, will the fan base forgive him for his role in stirring up the Browns and giving the Steelers one of the most embarrassing playoff losses ever? And it was. They hadn't lost to the Browns at home in 17 years. Yeah. They hadn't lost to the Browns at home since Ben Roethlisberger was drafted. That's how long it had been. And in that moment, in that game, to have it happen the way it did, that leaves a mark. And you just have to wonder what changes will be made. They haven't won uh, many playoff games since going to the Super Bowl to cap the 2010 season. They have two playoff wins since 2011. And, you know, at some point, if this continues, people are going to call more loudly than ever for a coaching change. And, you know, we've talked about this earlier in the week. The Steelers don't do it because they, they, they don't. That's their thing. They keep coaches forever. So they will resist firing Mike Tomlin, even if they get to a point two, three, four years from now where that's the kind of rebuilding they need to do. But I, I agree with you. Major changes coming for the Steelers. It's more of a reload than a rebuild. It's changing a tire on a car that that temporarily slows down but never really stops moving. And and we'll see what they can do. But if, if they don't have Roethlisberger, Mason Rudolph, I, I know he played well in the game against the Browns that that you know they 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 played a bunch of backups because they they didn't really need it at all. It didn't matter to the Steelers. I just don't know that that's enough to make Rudolph your guy because we saw it, Shereen, in 2019. Rudolph wasn't the answer. Duck Hodges wasn't the answer. I don't think Josh Dobbs is the answer. And I don't know what they would do at that point to find a quarterback if Ben's gone. I was surprised, Mike, they didn't go out and get a backup quarterback or draft somebody they could groom after seeing Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges when Ben was out last year in 2019 because they played 14 games, 14 and a half games, actually, uh, and, and they didn't see it. They knew neither one of those guys was their franchise quarterback. And now with Ben Roethlisberger turning 39 in May and this huge cap hit, we don't know what his future is and they don't know what the future is at the quarterback position because they have no backup. I think that Ben falls into the category of franchise quarterbacks who don't want to have anyone else on the depth chart who's who's good, yeah. frankly. Who's who's good enough that makes him think, are they thinking about getting rid of me and, and, and maybe they've made the strategic decision. We get the best from Ben Roethlisberger if we don't have his successor hovering over his shoulder. And we've seen plenty of quarterbacks where that's been the case. The problem is, you're, you're asking for a lost season, or at a minimum, you're going to have to scramble to take whoever yeah. you can find, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Phillip Rivers, whoever you can find as a Band-Aid to get you to the next year. It's not a good situation for the Steelers. All right, we've got plenty more PFTPM still to come. We'll be back right after this. The puck is being dropped very soon in Philadelphia. The Penguins at the Flyers, part of a triple header on NBCSN that begins at 5.30 Eastern. We'll be back with Football Pod in America right after this. All right, time to get ready for the playoffs. Good to be with Tony and Rodney and Mike. I am still Tony. I haven't left this spot. I've been in the basement now for nine days, so I'm a little stir-crazy. <laughs> so really, I am so happy. You guys, I might keep you here for an hour. It's so nice to have people and see see my guys and feel comfortable here one more time. You don't pay time, that so. well, Mike. 
I do. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Way to help out a friend, you know? I'm in quarantine in the basement. That's what I get from Rodney, but we're, we're all hanging in and doing okay. Hey, uh, really excited for the four games. This is always, we say, the best weekend of the football season, right? So let's start with our game on Saturday night. It's Baltimore going up to Buffalo. A little bit of snow in the forecast. Uh, Rodney, I'll, I'll let you kick off the conversation here because Baltimore's defense stepped up in the second half against Tennessee. Now they're going to have to step up against a very different and very explosive offense in Buffalo. Yeah, just got off the phone, phone with Kayla's Campbell, and he said, hey, I asked him about the snow and the potential of snow, and he said, look, we're not concerned about that. We're playing um, good physical football right now. They have a lot of respect for Josh Allen. And really, when you, when, what the, the majority of our conversation was about Josh Allen and trying to keep him in the pocket, not allowing him to escape. They have a lot of respect for Josh Allen. But the main thing he told me for the 10 or 15 minutes that I spent time with him is we have to make sure that we tackle Josh Allen. And to me, that's kind of been the interesting thing looking at Baltimore and Buffalo uh, because in Buffalo's game, Lamar Jackson had to step up as a passer as Mm -hmm. Tennessee was trying to take him away as a runner. And then in the Buffalo game, Josh Allen became a runner. They hadn't really used him a lot on design runs all year, but that became a big part of their offense. So it's the, these two quarterbacks, uh, they're, they're definitely going to be the bell cows, and how are they going to lead their teams uh, on Saturday? And that's one thing that fascinates me about this because both defenses are used to seeing a quarterback who can move, so it's not some foreign thing to them that they're going to be rattled by. They know it from practice. They've studied it. They've seen it. And I think that makes them a little bit better equipped to deal with the other team's mobile quarterback. But, yeah, for Lamar Jackson, it's got to be more diversification of the offense like we saw on Sunday against the Titans with Marquise Brown involved like we've never seen him before. And I think that was a great, great uh, development for the Bills, and they're going to need more of that if they want to win. I'm going to watch really early in this game for even the pregame. If it is snowing a little bit and there is an inch or so of snow in the forecast, I want to see how Lamar Jackson runs confidently and moves around. Do you remember the Monday night game they played at Cleveland? He had a ton of problems with his shoes and everything else. We know his speed and his elusiveness is important. He doesn't practice in the snow. He's never played in the snow. I'll be really curious to see how that impacts him. And Rodney and Tony, I'd love for you guys to weigh in on this. You know, for Baltimore and Lamar, it was about getting the win. So there's not the conversation of he hasn't won a playoff game. And for Buffalo, it had been the 25 years since winning the division and all that stuff. Now that they both did something, does that make it easier or harder as they take the next step, that really tough step, and win in the divisional round? Tony, I'll let you go first. I think it makes it easier. You do get that monkey off your back, and you don't have to worry about that anymore. Now you're just worried about the other team and preparing for them. So I think we're going to see the best of both teams for sure. I look at Lamar, and I think if if you haven't had experience playing in the snow, if you haven't been out there, I think it causes a lot of players' problems. You, you saw what happened um, to well, – what team was that that went into Green Bay? That was Tennessee that, that went into Green oh, yeah. Bay, and they looked a total, uh, they looked a total mess. So yeah. I think Lamar is going to struggle. Right. And as much – even if they have success running the football, he still, he still will be forced to make a few plays down the field where, where he's got to open up that offense. And, and right now I'm just really concerned. But when I look at Buffalo's defense – and just watching that defense coach, and I don't know how much tape you watch, they're very vulnerable up the middle. If you run straight down their throat, you can gain big yards, and and I think that's going to be the story of the game. 
Let me just say real quickly, too, the difference between Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson getting their first playoff wins, I feel like the Bills got grazed by the Colts. That, that the Colts outplayed them when you look at the numbers, and it was Josh Allen who stepped up and got it done, but it wasn't an easy win. We had seen the Bills dominant, 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 and then they got rattled by the seventh seed. The Ravens, on the other hand, they have been winning and winning and winning with their backs against the wall. They went into Tennessee and beat the Titans there. I think they come out of it with more of a lift than the Bills do. The Bills just have to feel like what happened, it all could have ended. I think they may have less confidence going into this game than they would have had, and the Ravens' confidence is through the roof. Hey, Floria, I don't think the Bills are sitting back worried about they, – they understand that this is the playoffs, and whether you win by 20 or whether you win by three points, a win is a win. And now you go from the wild card game to the divisional game. I just think they're not focused on how badly you know, or, or how impressive they looked against the Colts. It's about here and now. Both these teams are very confident. And we saw just from how Buffalo acts, whether they're in the end zone, they make a big play. They're having fun. They're encouraging one another. They're cheering one another on. So I, I don't think Buffalo has an issue with the way they won. I just, I just know that they're happy that they won. And I want to get Tony back to one point before we move on to the next game, and that's John Harbaugh. Tony, you have coached in the playoffs. You've gone on the road in the playoffs. Just how incredible the numbers have been for John Harbaugh on the road over these years winning playoff games. I don't think people realize how difficult it is. That's one of the the toughest things in the world is to win road playoff games because you're playing against the higher seed and you're playing (laughs) against a team that is confident at home and and plays well. So for John to take these teams on the road year after year after year and win games, it's just phenomenal. But I think it speaks to their mentality. And Rodney talked about it. This is a confident team. Buffalo is going to be confident. But I I guarantee you, Baltimore is going to be confident as well. We can go on the road and win, and we don't care where it is. And and, and, you know, Coach, it's funny. I'm I'm sorry, uh, Mike. Just talking to Kalis, that's exactly how his demeanor was. He's like, look, they have Stephon Diggs. They have Josh Allen. He is fantastic. He was very complimentary. But at the end of the day, they believe in themselves. They believe in that defense. Mm -hmm. Brandon Williams is back. Calais Campbell is back. They feel like – and you look at the cornerback situation. We talk about Indianapolis. You compare Indianapolis Colts cornerbacks to the Baltimore Ravens cornerbacks, and that's going to be a big story. But the Ravens plan – they're playing, like I said, they're playing with a lot of confidence. They're playing – physical and I don't think Buffalo I think Buffalo is going to be a one-dimensional team I don't think Buffalo can come out and run the ball against these guys I just I don't see that happening Mike Florio Mike I'm going to give you the first swing at the next game at Cleveland and Kansas City in the early window on Sunday and another quarterback from that draft class in Baker Mayfield three from the same draft class that also had Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen will in the first round uh, Kansas City's been waiting on the sidelines for as thrilling and as awesome as the Cleveland story and start of the game was you wake up to the reality that the best team in the AFC had their feet up last week they've been resting and they're ready to go I'm fascinated about this one what are you what are your first thoughts on Browns at Chiefs well I mean I would love for it to be like the Patrick Mahomes Baker Mayfield game from 2016 final score is 66 59 I don't think it's going to be (laughs) that though that's right and 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 look what what the Browns need to do and we talked last week about what the Colts needed to do against the Bills. you got to limit the possessions of a great offense. There's a clear talent gap between the Chiefs and the Browns. So, and the Browns have the running game. And they need to convince Baker Mayfield, you can't be gunslinger with Patrick Mahomes. You have to be game manager in this one. And we've got to keep 
Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. We've got to grind it out. We've got to shorten the game. We've got to limit their number of possessions. That's the only way to keep them under 30 points, is to limit the number of times that the Chiefs are on the field and try to use that offense to just slowly churn, get a field goal when you can, get a touchdown when you can, and hope that you can find a way to outscore the Chiefs. That, to me, is the only way the Browns can pull it off, and even then, it's an uphill climb. Coach? Well, I would uh, tend to disagree with Mr. Florio a little bit. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have lost one game in a year and a half, and they lost that game when the other team scored 40 points. So if I'm Cleveland, that's what I'm thinking about going in there. Hey, my defense, hopefully we can get it done. Hopefully we can make some plays like we did against Pittsburgh. But you know what? We're going to need points. And so Chubb, Kareem Hunt, my running backs, they've, they've got to run the ball. They've got to be explosive. I'm going to have to hit some passes, and we're going to have to score touchdowns. We're probably going to have to win this game 35-31, and offense is, is going to have to do it. If this were a legal proceeding, I would be asking the court reporter to mark the spot in the record where the Hall of Fame defensive coach advocates a shootout. <laughs> I've changed. So, um, forget defense hey, now. You can't hey, win with Florio, defense in the playoffs. Florio, that's the only way you're going to have a chance because you, these guys are rested the last two weeks. You're not going to stop them from scoring. Patrick Mahomes has been sitting on that couch. He can't wait to get back on that football field. And I agree with Coach wholeheartedly. Baker Mayfield and yes, you can run the ball and try to milk the clock, but at the end of the day, you got to score touchdowns and you got to score a bunch of them if you want to compete against those guys. So noted, Counselor. Uh, Rodney, I just want to come back to you <laughs> on one part of this deal here. What Cleveland did last week, uh, you know, you were in the locker rooms. You know what it's like when players band together and get something special. From afar, just watching that, you could feel adrenaline within you, if you weren't a Steelers fan, for what Cleveland accomplished. As a player watching that, you were there. What, what did Cleveland accomplish in your eyes by doing that against all odds on Sunday night in Pittsburgh? Well, first of all, I mean, if I were, if I were a guy in um, Pittsburgh, I would have just pulled Juju Smith-Schuster to the side and said, like, what are you doing? What an idiotic statement. Yeah. You know, it was just such a disrespectful and an unnecessary comment. This is an 11-5 team. They deserve to be in the playoffs and have their opportunity. And when you watch them on tape, this is a good football team. So it was just, you know, it's just one of those things where you just, you, you feel like, you know, Juju and the Pittsburgh Steelers really took the Cleveland Browns for granted. And Cleveland, they accomplished a whole lot, not having your coach, not having your starting secondary. And just the way those guys banded together, they became a team. That's what they accomplished. Yeah, I know winning the wild card game is a significant thing for them, but just com coming together more and being that team that they can trust one another in those tight situations. The, the guy named comment that Baker Mayfield made after the game to Michelle Tafoya, that, that just like defined what that game was all about, and they get a bunch of the players back off the COVID list, and they get Kevin Stefanski back. And uh, Mike, as Rodney kind of pointed me in that direction a few weeks ago, kind of a coach of the year type season. Go ahead, Rods. Yeah, I, I was wondering, like, why do you, why, coach Florio, you weren't there. They, I think they picked Pittsburgh to win, and I think Rodney Harrison was <laughs> the only one that picked the Cleveland Browns against all odds to step up. Despite everybody, despite um, the head coach Whoa. being in the basement Whoa. against a Hall yeah, of Fame yeah, future right. coach, 
Mm -hmm. Say what you want, Mike. Good. That was the biggest I, win of the have, year. I have to pat well, myself well, on the back. Wait, ahead, but, but America yeah. also picked Cleveland, which sure, means Rodney exactly. no longer hates America. That's true. And, and what, I like the, what I like the most about that comment right there is the old school guy you trust just stopped the entire proceeding to say, look at me, and point to the name on the back of his jersey. So that's good. That's really good. You see, 2021 is different. Hey, um, Mike, coach is, taught me well. Yeah. <laughs> Stop that. So, Rodney, I, I'm going to say this in all honesty. Rodney, you, you opened my eyes to a possibility that I think is going to become the reality. I was thinking for sure one way with my vote for Coach of the Year, and you brought up Kevin Stefanski. We were talking about this after Week 16, before Week 17, and I think with the way things went in Miami and the way things finished in Cleveland, a lot of folks did change their vote. Mike, we're at the coaching season now. There are seven openings as we go through this, whatever process, uh, as you watch this. Uh, you brought up a great point that I'd love for you to – point out to everybody and bring up with coach Dungey here well I, you know and this is something that coach, coach Dungey raised and I think it makes a ton of sense we, we have we have cookie cutter molds for who who coaches are going to be who are going to be successful and coach you mentioned John Harbaugh earlier I mean this wasn't a traditional hire and it just seems like so many of these owners continue to demand something that is traditional instead of thinking creatively and maybe getting a guy that's going to be their coach for 10 15 20 years no, I've, I've talked to a couple of general managers. I've talked to a couple of owners over this process and everybody who, where can I get the sizzle? How can I get my fan base excited? I've got to get the hottest offensive coordinator. I've got to get the hottest defensive coordinator in, in the playoffs. And it, it, it really, when you look at who has been effective and who's done the job, it's those people that can lead men who can change mm. cultures. And I remember talking to Ozzie Newsom and he said, you know what? John Harbaugh was just what I was looking for. I was looking for a, a leader. And yes, he was only the special teams coach, but I didn't care about that. Well, Ozzie knows, Newsom knows football. And that to me is, is the big thing. And, and we've got to get away from that. Kevin Stefanski didn't come in and fix Baker Mayfield. Kevin Stefanski changed the whole culture in Cleveland. He went from hey, we've got the number one draft choice quarterback to, you know what, we're going to keep track of how many times on offense we knock defenders down. And we're going to mm -hmm. be physical. And we're going to be a team. And we aren't going to care if we don't have our head coach and we don't have our best offensive lineman and we don't have our secondary. We're the Cleveland Browns. We're a team. That kind of mentality, that's what you've got to get across. That's what coaches do. And that can come from anywhere. Uh, that doesn't have to be the offensive coordinator who, who calls all these plays. That's what I think we've got to get owners to understand. Yeah, Mike, and I, I, Coach, absolutely right. And when you look at Kevin Stefanski, he's not, with his personality and his demeanor, he's not that coach that's going to walk in and throw chairs or anything like that. When he's doing his interviews, he's nice and calm. He has a r real calm, calming demeanor, just like you. It's in, and the thing that I like about him, he holds everyone um, accountable, but he also he respects the guys in that locker room. And when a coach respects you and you feel like you, know, you have the attention of the coach and the coach is open, 
open-minded. The players will communicate with the coach, and the coach respect the players. The players respect the coach. And he's taken away all those negative distractions. You don't hear those comments. You don't hear Baker Mayfield saying something crazy or anything like that. These guys are 100% focused. And the reason why they were so successful is because of the foundation that Kevin Stefanski laid. That's why he was able to sit in the basement, and they were able to run the ball and do some of the things, some of the basic things that they do. It's because of the coach. He is hands down the coach of the year. He has been absolutely fantastic. Go ahead, Mike Florio. I know you're screaming well, yeah, let me, to say well, I, I wanted to chime in on, on this notion of the, the coaching hiring process because, you know, it yeah. comes up from time to time that, that guys don't don't interview well and whether it was Bruce Arians who's kind of gruff and says what he wants and Mike Zimmer who's very in your face and tells it like it is and it took them years to find a head coaching job and now you got Eric Bieniemy. like why can't he get serious consideration and I wish that these owners would realize you're not hiring someone to sit and talk in a boardroom for an hour and a half you're hiring someone to lead a locker room full of football players and you need to watch how they interact with their players watch Eric Bieniemy on the sidelines of a game you can see that he connects with his players. Listen to what Patrick Mahomes says about Eric Bieniemy. You can hear it in his voice that he believes in Eric Bieniemy. So this whole interview process to me, I think all too often the owners lose sight of the fact that what the guy says and what he does when he's in a suit and tie and he's uncomfortable and it's an hour and a half of talking and it's not what he does for a living. And, and it just astounds me that the model continues down that path when it's obvious that that has nothing to do with what a guy is going to do when he's a coach. Mike, Mike, I would I say as we assistant, go ahead, Tony. Go I was Tony. an assistant coach for 15 years, and I heard that over and over. I didn't interview well, and to me, that just means the owner didn't like me, that, and that's okay. You didn't like my mm -hmm. style, but don't say I didn't interview well because that had nothing to do with it. You didn't like the way I am, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Eric Bieniemy not interviewing well, or a certain coach not interviewing well, uh, that, that that's just a, a fallacy. I would say this as we pivot to the NFC and you look at the higher in Green Bay and Matt LaFleur who's been 13-3 and three these two years and Sean McVay who's had success. I think some of the really good hires happen with the ownership and team presidents who are around their locker room, who get a feel for a guy who would be a good leader of men. Those who are in business, it doesn't mean that they can't hire good coaches, but they're used to dealing with the CEO, the corporate part of it. You get the guys who get a sense of the room, and somebody, I've seen this trait in this coach in our, our group. His players play really well for him. Those may be the guys who have a good sense. You think of Steve Bishotti like that with the hire of Harbs and relying on Ozzie Newsom, like you said, Tony. Rely on the football guys because they got a sense. They've been there. They've been led by bad coaches. They've been led by good coaches. Let me spin to the Rams in Green Bay and this playoff game of here's uh, Sean McVay who got to the Super Bowl with a terrific offense, and now they're riding the number one defense, and they're going to have their hands full with a great matchup with the number one offense in Aaron Rodgers. Rodney, as we uh, lay out the Rams against the Packers, what are your first thoughts? My first thoughts are, you know, I don't know if Aaron Donald is 100% healthy, but they're going to definitely need him. But even if they don't have him at 100%, I think they're still going to be okay. They're not going to be as good as they would be, obviously, with Aaron Donald at 100% because other guys on the Rams have stepped up and played well on that defensive front. Leonard, um, Floyd, he's been great. The secondary is playing extremely well. So if I'm the Rams, I feel pretty confident from a defensive standpoint coming in there. I think their biggest challenge will be 
A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones in the passing game. I think Green Bay, he's fresh, he's healthy, he's been off the last couple weeks. I think they're going to give him more opportunities as a you know running back lined up as a wide receiver. And um, I'm looking really looking forward to just seeing Aaron Rodgers. And if they can protect Rodgers, it could get ugly. Well, everybody's going to say the Rams have no chance. Warm weather team going into Lambeau Field and going without your quarterback or Jared Goff being injured. But they have the right formula. Rodney talked about it. Those pass rushers, they've got a secondary that can cover. They can play defense. And then on the other side of the ball, even if Jared Goff can't go, they can run the football, which has been the Achilles heel of, of Green Bay. So I think it's a neat matchup. It depends on two things to me. Aaron Donald's health, that's critical. He's got to be himself. And then number two, they've got to be able to deal with the elements. They've got to go in there mentally and say, you know what, it is going to be cold, but we can go do this. No Rip snow, the by sleeves. the way. Mid-20s mid yeah. and cloudy, by the way, so not terrible. Go ahead, Mike. Rip off the sleeves, Bud Grant style, no coats on the sideline. That's the way to do it, the way the Minnesota teams used to. But I got, I got two things on this. One, if they put Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams and say, you take yeah, care of him, nice. will Aaron Rodgers still mm -hmm. see a window and still throw it in there? Because, you know, with Aaron Rodgers' accuracy, you could still find a crease where you could get the ball in if Ramsey otherwise has him covered. And secondly, Aaron Jones, contract year. 24 teams home watching this game. This is his chance to get paid by somebody, and the Packers need that running game to, to kind of open up the passing game because other than Devontae Adams, who do they have? So I, those are the two key players for me. Yeah, that's what I'm going to watch. Will they match up? Will that be an island and a fun one to watch where you visit a few times and then it becomes Robert Tunyon, MVS, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, uh, maybe both backs at the same time with one split out like Rodney was talking about. Fascinating choices for Green Bay on offense if you think Ramsey and Adams are going to go over here and have a terrific battle that we could sell on pay-per-view. One more, guys. Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Uh, Tony, did you say enough nice things about the Buccaneers when you got home? Was everybody happy that you, uh, you gave them all the plaudits and credits for the win in Washington? No, they weren't happy with me. I tried to talk about how well they played, what a great game plan Todd yes. Bowles had, how good Tom right, Brady was. But they said all I talked about was Taylor Heineke, and, and I did. He was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, I think the quarterback that the Bucks are going to play this week is going to be a little bit better than Taylor Heineke. So we'll see. It should be a great matchup with Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Yeah, and to me, I, I look at Antonio Brown, man. He's just been so impressive. He's been their best wide receiver the last month of the season. They're getting him involved, moving him around, giving him different opportunities. I look for him to continue his fascinating play. And, um, you know, Tom Brady just seems very comfortable with him right now. Well, and think about the last two Saints games. Week one, right out of the gates. What was the comment earlier this week? Tom Brady didn't even know where to sit when he, when he right. uh, showed up on the sidelines for the first game. Week nine, they got blown out. It, it went sideways early, and that was that. This is a full year now of Tom Brady, 17 games of Tom Brady playing with the Buccaneers. He knows that offense so much better. They know him so much better. It's a far different team than it was, and I think psychologically the fact that the Saints won the first two games gives the Buccaneers a powerful edge in this one. Also, three straight years now, the Saints have had their hearts ripped out and shown to them in the playoffs at some point. And Correct. how can you not Correct. feel like that's coming? If you're a Saints player, Devin White, you know Mike, Devin White, he's back. His return, uh, inside linebacker who's in a, a second-team All-Pro, 
to have him back there with Levante David will certainly give him a chance to run around and deal with Kamara and all that other stuff. It's going to be a great weekend. <laughs> we'll see you all Saturday night as we get you ready for the Bills and the Ravens in our NBC game. Enjoy this uh, best weekend of the year, divisional playoffs, and we will see you over the weekend. Thanks for hanging with us.